Hello and welcome to Lights Out, the Formula One podcast for fans, by fans. I'm Will and as I look across the digital garage, I'm joined by my co-host or co-driver. Hi Sam, how you doing? Hi Will, hi listeners. I'm very well, thanks. I'm looking forward to spring. It's been very wet this week. I'm kind of sick of getting sick of getting soaked now. How's your week been? Yeah, it's been very good. It's been good fun. Um, we've properly launched the podcast, which is very exciting. We've got all our new artwork. Uh, so thank you very much to Joycey, uh, Sam's good friend, who has come through with that. Um, but yeah, I've also not enjoyed the rain. I enjoyed the bit of snow yesterday morning, but I was glad it went pretty quickly. Um, so yeah, it's. Uh, I'm excited to record another episode. Yeah, absolutely. And just just on uh, launching the podcast, I wanted to say thanks to our listeners, um, particularly those that have provided some very kind feedback and ratings and reviews. Um, we've only done a couple of episodes, but uh, absolutely blown away by the responses we had so far. So thanks to all of you for listening and, and doing that for us. Um, and with that, away we go with the episode. Yes. Yeah, so in today's episode, we're going to be discussing the F1 phenomenon that is Drive to Survive, focusing on the latest season that was out a couple of weeks ago. So Drive to Survive is pretty well known, but in case you didn't know, it's a Netflix TV series that comes out every season, uh, every year, for sort of recapping the previous season, right before pre-season testing or the start of the season. It's a documentary behind the scenes uh, one, and it's been pretty. It's been it's been a massive thing for the sport for many many different reasons. You know, it's brought a lot of new fans to the sport from, especially with the help cracking America, but also getting people into Formula One that would never have watched Formula One or know anything about Formula One and made it sort of interesting and appealing to them. But also, it's not been widely popular with you know fans. The previous season, uh, not the one that's just come out, the one from last year, was criticised by fans. It was criticised by the drivers and Formula One itself. With uh, Stefano Domenichelli, the head of Formula One, uh, actually having to speak to Netflix and the production company and saying, you know, you need to stop distorting reality. We thought we'd talk about the recent series. You know, what we liked, what we didn't like, some of the key bits that happened, and then what we'd like to see in season six. I think Netflix has signed a deal with Formula One. I think for another two or three seasons. So as an F1 fan, that's great news. And also for the neutral, that's great news as well, because you're going to get more F1 content. So I thought, Sam, we'd start by asking you a very simple question. Did you enjoy it? And if so, what did you enjoy? I, I did enjoy it. Um, I did enjoy it, Will. Um, I think it's, it, it is quite an interesting series. I don't know if it's um, it's because we're into the fifth season now and maybe the novelty's worn off a little bit and that's why some fans are perhaps more critical of it. But uh, yeah, I, I genuinely quite enjoyed this season just gone. We'll come on to some of the limitations, let's say, of the series that's been uh, recently released. Um, what's, what I found particularly interesting this time around was last season, you're right, got an awful lot of criticism and, and rightly so for some of the stuff they did. And maybe maybe we'll cover some of those things throughout this episode but but really silly things like um having 10 second stop go penalties last for 20 30 seconds on screen to build tension and things just make it just really not brought the sport into disrepute but it it, it wasn't particularly accurate um no. and that really irked a lot of kind of the diehard fans this season i thought was particularly interesting was because to some extent netflix had a bit of a tougher tougher ask this time around not only fixing some of the things they made uh, fixing some of the things they got wrong in the previous season but also the racing was very very different um we've talked a lot about what 2021 was uh, and what it resulted in at the end of the season and although there were lots of <clears throat> challenges with that season it was really exciting like the racing on track was unbelievable the battle between Verstappen and Hamilton was really compelling and and it's, it's kind of a shame that they managed to spoil that season as much as they did because it's by far the best racing season that they've had to work with. Whereas last season, um, which is obviously what season five is based on, 
the racing wasn't fantastic after about 10, 12 Grand Prix. So they had to work with some other things, but helpfully for them, quite a lot happened off track uh, and seeing all of the behind the scenes or a lot of the behind the scenes stuff behind um, sort of, uh, with that, with those things that happened off track was, was quite interesting. So in short, yes, I did enjoy it. I was aware of some of the limitations and we'll talk about some of them, but um, as an F1 fan and someone who really likes um, like seeing characters and how they interact behind the scenes, uh, yeah, I did enjoy it. How about you? Yeah, I, I, well, I thought it was an improvement on the previous season, which is a good sign. I think the the season uh, before, where you know it was the one where the, the title battle went down to the final season, I thought was really was really the end. Of, they had the perfect story, had the perfect script, and it kind of didn't feel like it did it justice. And that was also partly because I, I didn't like the outcome of that season, but also like there was lots of, uh, as you say, you know, inaccuracies. So there was penalties, but also like using team radio from completely different races to sort of fit a narrative to sort of, you know, I think the one I always remember is there's a, a radio clip of, I think Lando Norris saying, oh, he's really close to me. And when it looked like when it was Daniel Ricciardo and there's a clip of Lando Norris going, I never said that then. I don't know why they've edited there as well. But also like the, those fake rivalries as well. That was one of the key fake rivalries that, that Netflix sort of created. And I remember that previous season being as an F1 fan sort of going, well, this is not what the sport I recognize. And this is not, why you know this is wasn't the season that unfolded in my eyes and many other fans as well so if i look at the season we've just watched um i thought yeah i think you're right the the on track drama wasn't the best but i actually thought they captured some of the races really well and they and some of the, some of the drama they had about the races was really good and i thought that was lacking from a few uh, seasons because you know when i remember when try to survive first came out those first early seasons were really good at sort of showing you a whole race unfold whereas it kind of lost that a bit and yeah, you're right. The um, on off track, sorry, the off track drama was brilliant last season as well. And for me, I think as well, they got some of the big sort of thematics right. So one of the key stories of last season, and you know, which was widely known for everyone, was about Ferrari and the mistakes they were making. And you know, was that going to the team principal? You know, was it just the track side? And that episode that focused just on Ferrari, I thought, was a really good illustration. And really benefited from that sort of behind the scenes documentary sort of format because you've got a real insight into sort of what was going on. You saw, I think you saw Charles de Klerk's very real reaction sometimes. They captured that quite well of how, ang- how angry he was when Carlos Sainz was sort of quite selfish, at the, at, in my opinion, at the Silverstone uh, Grand Prix. And so I thought, you know, I, I came away from that thinking like, oh, that, that's, that, that feels like they've hit, they've, they've hit that really well. Yes, they could have shown us even more of what was going on behind the scenes, but it, I felt as an F1 fan that I, yeah, that was a really interesting episode and a really fascinating episode as well. And I think as well, what what the first couple of seasons really did is it was sort of brought attention to some of the drivers that probably don't get that much coverage in a race weekend. And I think the two sort of big winners for me from from this recent series was Mick Schumacher who, you know, everyone has heard of the Schumacher name, and I thought it was a really good sort of analysis and sort of real good portrayal of what it's like to be the son of one of the greatest drivers of all time and the difficulties of having the sport. And you could see the mistakes he's making and the pressure. And you could then see the reaction to how Gunter Steiner, the team principal, was dealing with it, but also Gene Haas as well, the owner. And, like, and the, you know, that was, I thought it was a really good illustration of the pressure a young driver faces, especially when you've got a big name. And I thought that, I thought that was really good. And then I think another one is is Yuki Tsunoda. I think he's such a quirky character, such a different personality that that sort of focus on him I thought was was really nice. And it was sort of I know when I watched the uh, the Bahrain Grand Prix last weekend, 
I was sort of rooking, rooking. I was rooting for Yuki um, a bit more because of it. Uh, so yeah, it's obviously a very good sort of device and sort of way of getting you to be, in, uh, you know, get behind a driver as well. And sort of, I think you know, last season was a tough season for Yuki, and it kind of betrayed the the highs and the lows, but also the sort of the challenge from going forward. So now you're kind of watching, going, yeah, I wonder how he will like will he assert himself as leader of that team with Nick DeFries or not? So uh, yeah, I think those yeah those are my sort of initial views and why why I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely, and I think um, yeah, Yuki's a great shout, definitely. I think if if Gunter Steiner is the primary protagonist of Drive to Survive, and I think there's an argument that he probably is, yeah. Yuki's not too far behind him. I think he's had quite compelling coverage throughout uh, sort of his time in Formula One, and I really enjoyed a lot of the sort of stuff with him and Pierre Gasly, the the absolute bromance that those two enjoyed uh, Alpha Tauri last season. I really enjoyed watching all of that. I think on that protagonist thing, that's a really good point because. I think the the main protagonist over the last couple of seasons has been Daniel Ricciardo. And we have, we had a lovely montage with him at the very end of, of the final episode. And they're probably looking around thinking, okay, who can be our sort of quirky personality driver? And I think you're right, Yuki is with probably Gunter, those sort of two big personalities that are sort of very natural and very easy to record. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's funny you mentioned Ricciardo. He's, he's also on my list of the kind of the most interesting bits of the last season. I think seeing him... And everybody knows what a character he is and seeing him really struggling uh, in that team, in that car and and with Lando kind of out, consistently outperforming him. It was quite interesting to see how he kind of held it together, really. Like, I think yeah. a lot of other people would have really crumbled in that situation. And he he maintained a certain standard, I think. Certainly it seemed that way from the from the kind of documentary. I mean, who knows what else happens when the cameras aren't on, but... He, yeah. it, it seemed to me that like he maintained a really good level of like enthusiasm for the sport and for the team and keeping them going and stuff. So I was quite impressed by that. And just uh, just on that, I, I thought I thought I got the impression, which I didn't usually get when I was watching the races last season, that he was pretty. He felt pretty powerless, and he was very much like, "Well, the car's just not good enough," and so I'm I'm really struggling here. And I, I definitely got the sense he'd been through a real private battle, and it'd probably been very very hard behind the scenes. And he didn't really show, you know, them having arguments or falling out and stuff like that. But it, you could just get the sense that he was pretty, pretty done by the end of it. Which I thought was a really good, you know, if you if you knew that story and you knew what to look for, you came away thinking like, you know, I came away thinking Ricardo is probably it wasn't just him having a shocker. It was probably a, a multiple tutor things, but he he had to try really hard and you know it was very tough and resilient to keep the show on the road. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I suppose the, the, the two other storylines that uh, most interested me during Drive Survive, one, one is the cost cap uh, debacle, yeah. which we'll come to uh, later on in the podcast. Uh, but the other one was the Oscar Piastri um, saga, oh, of course, like by far oh, the Silly most... season. Silly <laughs> season. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was a particularly silly, silly season this uh, last season, I think. Um, why, why did you enjoy that Piastri bit so good? What, what, about, what, what about it in the series made it so good to you? So I I really like a lot of the the wheeling and dealing kind of behind the scenes stuff that you get to see in Drive to Survive. So yeah, and, and it's the same. It's the same. I mean, I watch a lot of the other kind of football things and um, the, the the sort of football documentaries that Amazon and Netflix and others have produced. And again, in some of those episodes, it's always this kind of transfer sagas and stuff that goes on behind the scenes that fans just don't ever get to see anything of. That's very interesting. So yeah, watching the kind of haggling, particularly the the not you know the they sort of released the information that they tried to do a swap for Ricardo between McLaren and Alpine. I thought that was a really interesting uh, kind of conversation as well. Mm. Um, and like seeing how, seeing how all that works was quite, 
was quite fun. Um, but no, no, I mean, by far the most enjoyable moment was Piastri putting his tweet out. I mean, we didn't need Drive to Survive to tell us how uh, delicious that particular tweet and saga was. But watching the reaction uh, and then watching Zach Brown and Otmar Schaffner go at it was was very entertaining. We, again, we'll come to those later when we start talking about cost cap and team principles. But um, yeah, I found that that storyline quite compelling. And, and as I mentioned in previous episode, I think it shows a level of bravery on Piastri's part to go and disappoint a team that he has spent significant time with. Uh, and they were, at, <laughs> they were at pains to constantly refer to how much money they'd invested in his career so far. I think willingly going to a, not to a you know, key rival in the championship um, and doing it in that way shows a lot of, um, a lot of metal. Yeah, I, I thought what they did really good about that that whole bit was that it wasn't just the Piastri thing. It sort of really told the story of what happened. So it started. It starts with Vettel, then it's Alonso, mm. then it's Piastri, and then it's like who replaces Piastri? And they just told that in a very good sort of sequence. And so then it made it, you know I was when I was sort of thinking about what or what they're going to cover. I was worried that they would just kind of pick the Piastri as sort of, sort of one thing that happened and not really you know, skim past some of the other bits was actually they told that whole sort of knock on effect of all these things. Cause that, because that's how it unfolded. That was what was happened. It was one move happened. Then the other move happened and that the knock on effect it all had. And I just, I just thought it was, it was, you know, for an F1 diehard fan, I, I loved it. I was sort of, you know, I thought it was very, very well done. And it, like you said, he did feel like you got to see the behind the scenes dealing and, and sort of how they were interactive, but also for someone, you know, so I was, I watched it with my partner uh, and she, you know, doesn't follow f1 that closely she'll watch the occasional race you know she'll appease me and watch them with me but like she didn't really know much about that drama but you know, she couldn't believe it she was like really hooked so, you know if, if you've if you've if you didn't see a single bit of last season and you watch that you go i want to watch this more often i want to follow the politics of Formula one because that, that's the genius of the sport you've got this amazing on-track drama but then you've got this amazing sort of politics and maneuvers and then it's like you know just the fact that one person retiring can then have that chain effect and it be so public as well, I thought it was just, it captured that very well. Hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it is, it is a very Machiavellian sport, isn't it? And I think what, yeah. what Drive to Survive has done for for many fans is open that up um, because previously we'd never see any of that. I mean, I'm sure all kinds of stuff used to happen with you know Ron Dennis and Ross Braun and John Todd and all the, all the big characters that have since left Formula One. But um, yeah. yeah, it's kind of... And, and on that, I think if you said to an F1, if you said to a man on the street, or a woman on the street 10, 15 years ago, what is Formula One? They said, oh, you know, you'd be like, well, it's just a, a sport of where cars just sort of chase and overtake each other. Whereas I think now, if you said, if you said someone on the street, you know, what is Formula One? They go, yeah, there's, there's, there's the track action and there's the racing and the chasing each other. But actually there's a whole load of drama and politics that happens as well. And I think that is why Drive to Survive is really good because it really, it's really brought to light that. And if you, if you followed the sport closely 20 years ago, you would obviously follow this and you'd know what was going on but it's made it much more accessible and sort of revealed who the characters are as well, because not many people would have known the characters and to hit so like, you know, first count, first hand accounts from them as well. And I, I thought, you know, I thought Piastri came across very well. And I think we'll probably have got himself some fans out of it by sort of being very sort of honest, but also the way he's spoken about by others as well. People will probably sit up and watch him in races now going, Oh, well, yeah, I watched George Survive and loads of people saying he's going to be a future world champion or oh, yeah, Christian Horner said they wish they'd got him as well. I thought like, you know that that just sort of helps sell the character and the person as well. So yeah, I so I think yeah, I think it really sort of highlighted the drama and sort of the thing. And that's that's something we want to come on to now. Actually, yeah, it's a nice sort of link we've got for ourselves. There is one of the best bits of Drive to Survive season five is the team principles, and I think they are the main characters and the main 
people we follow in this season because that's where the politics, as we've just sort of covered a bit there, is that's where a lot of the drama happens. There isn't really much inter-teammate rivalry. There's not really a championship battle. And so we see a lot of the team principles. And, and what, what did you make of how they came across in uh, the latest season? Yeah, I, it's, 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 it's yeah, it's one of the one of the bits I enjoyed the most. I think from this from this particular season, uh, I'm not sure if it's because of the the on track kind of lack of excitement in some cases that they they majored on that, or that simply there was an awful lot of team principle related politicking going on last season. But they focused on it quite a bit. I am conscious that Netflix like to create a bit of a narrative, and and they do like to cast goodies and baddies and the rest of it. Um, but who, who was your favorite? Who was your favorite? Oh, Gunter Steiner, obviously. He's he's always. He, I think he's just such good value every every season. I think it's probably most, and it's probably the reason he's so popular amongst the fan base. Considering he's a team principal, a pretty poorly performing team, it's quite funny. He's got the following he does, but it's largely because he's sort of unfiltered. So he doesn't yeah. really um, like. There's, there doesn't seem to have. He doesn't seem to have a particular edge to him or anything. Like he just says what he thinks, and a lot of the time, what he thinks is quite funny. So yeah, I thought he was brilliant again this season. How about you? Yeah, I would say Gunter was a standout. Um, I I just think he just he's just such an entertaining sort of personality. I don't think he really has to try very hard. The thing I'm always amazed by Gunter is you can I think you see him speak about three different languages, hmm. and he and he's just very funny and witty in all three languages. And that takes real sort of knowledge and understanding of a language to be that funny. Um, and you know this you know this is going to be an obvious answer to me, but. He, d- he doesn't appear in it much, but I did think um, Toto just comes across like a complete boss, just, you know, really sort of respectful, really on it. Just a re- I, you know, I, every time I see Toto on screen, I go, oh, I'd, he'd be such a good boss to work for. And then I think the other, uh, the other one I thought came across very well, who didn't really have much of a profile was Otmar Safnauer, uh, the Alpine um, team principal. I thought he very well sort of, he came across very well in all the drama the, the driver drama didn't come across like he was you know petulant at all very mature but also came across like very personal i quite enjoyed the, the clips of him sort of practicing his his french in the car on the way to the factory and walking around as well you know i'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna ask you a question which i know the answer to who do you think didn't come across very well <laughs> i mean yeah it, it does feel a bit reductive to just say well christian horner obviously again didn't come across particularly well on drive to survive because I, I i struggled to find remember a series or an episode where he didn't come across uh in a certain i think, in a I think certain we, could way. Spend, we could spend probably about half an hour talking about christian horner and drive to survive i think there's so much to sort of break down and digest about christian horner and drive to survive yeah well it's it's just like he's quite a Machiavellian character in a very Machiavellian environment. You can just tell he absolutely loves that side of things. You throw in the you throw into the mix that he is extremely effective with the media. Like he's built a fantastic relationship with Sky and he has innovated the sport. This is for Red Bull fans and, and Christian Horner fans, let me be clear, like that this isn't a kind of we don't rate Christian Horner at all. Like what he has done in what he's done in the sport is remarkable and like what he's managed to do building his own team and then starting uh, kind of Red Bull way back when and winning what is it 11 different championships in however many years he's been with Red Bull now like it's amazing but it comes at a price from a from a Netflix perspective I think well just on being innovative it was a, the production crew this is this is a bit of how Drive Survive came about the production crew came up to him and said you know we'd love to make a behind the scenes documentary about Red Bull and he sort of said actually you know what you should do you should capture the whole sport so then they went off to Formula One and that's when they got you know the initial things to do so yeah you're, you're right he's a real sort of innovator yeah, well, and fair, well, and fair play to him. Thanks, Christian, for giving us Scribe to survive. Um, but yeah, in in terms of how he comes across in the 
in the series. It's not fantastic. I think this one was pro- probably the worst one. I mean, it wasn't great in last series, but um, some of I think some of the, some of the things he he said and did, particularly around the cost cap uh, yeah. saga, really was sort of out not out of line, but way way beyond. I think what what a team principal probably should have been saying in those situations. What 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 like what what sort of irked you? I think the main thing was probably referencing the mental health of Red Bull employees in the face of quite public criticism um, for them mm. overspending. I mean, I can sort of understand that that may well have been a factor, but not not within hours of an announcement and certainly not when the, the whole discussion was still kind of what rules have they broken by how much and why, how has it happened um, to go immediately so defensive like he did and sort of referencing things like that that are quite serious issues and never never mind the kind of cost cap stuff i imagine that is probably quite a big challenge in formula one anyway given the fact that they will have to travel all year round the sport comes with huge amounts of pressure it felt a bit reductive i think to use that uh in that situation for for what was essentially some kind of defending against the media right you know and the media had every right to ask questions because they did overspend and that that is just <laughs> that's just a fact how about you? Yeah. What did you think about uh, him in general? I mean, we'll, let, we'll talk about some of the others uh, in a bit as well, rather than this just become a polemic anti-Christian Horner podcast. <laughs> uh, let's while we're talking about him. So, so I think there's two there's sort of two things I'd say about Christian Horner. The first thing is what what is what his strength in Drivers Five is is he comes across someone that is really really competitive, and that really drives him. And I do find that quite entertaining because he, you know if he would have sort of turned up and said, "Oh yeah, you know Red Bull, we're here to do things differently," but actually he's like. You know, Mercedes, you know, we're out to get them or, you know, we're first or we're now being hunted. Like that does give a bit of drama and that, you know, that creates the rivalry. And I do, I do enjoy that. I do think he is quite good at sometimes playing the camera in those moments. The bits, the bits that I find really hard and I just see straight through is when he's trying to act natural. So I'll get, I'll do my Christian Horner impression for you. This is what I imagine happens in when they film Drive to Survive. So they'll, they'll all know that Drive to Survive are filming with them that weekend and, you know, I think it's the Austin Grand Prix when they do this one. I think he walks up to Max. I think he'll go up to Max Verstappen and go, right, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell him to hit record. I'm going to walk up to you and I'm going to say something along the lines of like, yeah, I'll give it to, to Mercedes, okay? Okay, right. And then he'll, he'll walk back and then I'll go, I like to be clapping my hands to do like an action board. And he'll be like, right, action. And he'll walk up to Max and go, cool, Mercedes, eh? Yeah, you've got to go and show him out on track. And Max Verstappen's a bit like, yes yes like and that's it and it it just reeks across it like he's almost reading off a script it doesn't feel like it's a natural behind the scenes sort of you've caught him having quite a private huddle moment with him it feels like he's trying to get across this sort of narrative or he's trying to pay natural and, and i think so many people can spot that i've spoken to so many people that have watched i've survived and said you know christian on a flipping heck he's sort of all over the place or he's you know he come across as too pushes it too far and he pushes the gender too far um yeah and so yeah and i'm I also think he must, they must have a deal. They must, this must be in his deal to be in Drive to Survive to get his house in and to get Jerry <laughs> Horner in every season. Every season we'll see them riding horses, having a, you know, either you know, this season we had them camping. We've seen every variation and we'll always get a conversation, a very, another similar forced conversation where he'll go to Jerry. Jerry, if you if you ask me about how the driver's getting on and I'll come up with an answer. And you don't know, they just have this conversation. It's like, it's such a surface, high-level conversation. That's not the conversations that they're having in private. They're probably he's probably you know saying much different things. And I I don't know. I just think that kind of ruins it a little bit, really. And I think he kind of just if I was him, and I'll come into this point later. They almost just need to film him without him knowing he's being filmed. If that makes sense, just have lots of different cameras up everywhere, and just have you know a bit like the Arsenal All or Nothing um, TV series. 
just capture him naturally because I think you would see a lot more of the the, the figure that we see on TV and you know who does seem a bit more genuine, whereas he just comes across very very forced in those moments. Yeah, no, I I totally agree. Um, <laughs> the fact that, yeah, yeah, they must have spent quite a bit of time in Oxfordshire Netflix. They seem to every season. I've, I'm a bit cynical about this, but uh, and we'll come on to this a bit in a minute when we talk about some of the things that were missed from the series. But um, I do think the the kind of two parties that Netflix have to keep happy to keep making this TV sh- series are Formula One themselves and Christian Horner. I'm absolutely convinced of that because the things that are missed and the way that mm, things are sort of portrayed in general make me think that they are pandering to those two kind of key audiences or those two key stakeholders so i think that's that's interesting i would say that i'd say there's a third party i think mercedes they obviously have to keep happy because i think what you see with mercedes is a very very controlled and you you know you don't really see much behind scenes at all you get you get snippets but it's all very very safe for the mercedes access and actually that's one of my criticisms is the side um not the side the, the side the no side pod porpoising episode I thought was really badly explained, gave you no real insight to what was going on, apart from some very generic, oh yeah, the car's not doing very well. Like you, you, you see them having a debrief and the snippet from that they'd play from that debrief was like, yeah, things aren't good enough. And that'd be it. They'd be like, well, we're not seeing anything here. And so I think Mercedes, I think, would control what they let Netflix broadcast and share really tightly as well. I do think with Red Bull and with Christian Horner, I think they have to try and keep him happy as well. And that comes on to a point... Um, well, I'll make it now. So don't want to leave you in suspense. But um, I think the reason how they got Max Verstappen back into the series. So for, for those that didn't know, Max Verstappen took a break from Drive to Survive. He was pretty fed up. Didn't like how he was sort of making fake rivalry. So the whole season where him and Hamilton fight to the end of the season, he's not in the seat. He doesn't speak to camera once. He's obviously there in the background, but there's no sort of his take on it as well. They obviously made a big thing about him coming back for this season, season five. And I think it will be on the agreement that they're only shown in a positive light, no negativity, nothing like that. Because one of the main absences of season five is there's nothing about the Checo and Max Verstappen drama. You know, that's a massive thing that happened towards the end of the season. And it's, you know, there's given no airtime at all. And I, I was sat watching the, the Checo Monaco episode and thinking, oh, this is going to, this is going to come up later. And we're, we're going to see Max be absolutely furious in Brazil because of what happened here. And it got nothing. So I think they they've obviously got a deal in place or an agreement in place to be like, we're not we're not going to you're not you're not going to portray us negatively. And if you and if you do, you don't get access to our team principal. You don't get access to our drivers. And I always wonder if they've almost got a deal in place to sort of every season you must focus one episode on us because for me the Checo episode felt really out of place. It felt like it was the you know it wasn't really a story of last season. And it felt like a necessary drama. So yeah, I think I think you're probably right, but I would I would also go to extend it onto Mercedes, sadly, as well. So, so I do agree with you about Mercedes, but but in a slightly different way. So in, in, in Ooh, interesting of, in, in an opposing kind of in the exact opposite way to Red Bull, who and Horner, who who love the limelight, they love the they love being on all this stuff, you know, all the series and being the front, the face of Sky Sports F1, every opportunity they've got. Mercedes <laughs> aren't really like that. They're a bit more private, I think, in general. And what I would say is if Mercedes wanted uh, a kind of good level of airtime and they wanted things to portray them in a certain way, why on earth did we see nothing about the Brazilian Grand Prix when they got a 1-2? Like, 
that wasn't covered at all. And that was the yeah, most George's successful first weekend win. of the season. George's first win. That's quite a big step for the team and for him. No coverage of it at all. So I do agree with you, but only in the sense it, that like... Actually, there's, there's a, actually, there's a brief flashback to it in the yeah. very, very final episode where they where they also cover off Kevin Magnuson's surprise pole position as well, which is a bit, a bit odd as well. Correct. Yeah, that's it. So it's Kevin Magnuson who's the focus of that particular race weekend in the episode, but not... The team that won it, one and two, the, the, the guy winning his very first race and the Max Checo drama, which happened in Brazil. So, yeah, I, I do agree. But I think Mercedes probably look at it slightly differently to Red Bull. Like they're a bit yeah. less interested in the publicity side of things and more interested in controlling what content is put yeah, out there. Exactly, exactly. And if I also just came back to Christian Horner. If I was him, I would go and have an acting lesson with Zach Brown because Zach Brown is actually very natural at having those scripted conversations or those those forced conversations that you know that they've they're not having fresh for the first time. I think there's a there's a, um, a bit where he's being he's speaking to the chair of the McLaren board, and he sort of says, "Yeah, you know what? We're gonna have to get rid of Daniel. It's just not working." And it it, it genuinely feels like it's a genuine conversation. Or there's a bit where they go, where him and Otmar Safanara are sort of negotiating over the whole Piastri drama. And it generally, you know, they've, they've, they've filmed him walking through the door and they've kept the microphone on. And yes, it's not a great bit of insight but and access, but you hear him ask a question for that. And it comes across as, you know, they, they all know he's probably written up a, walking in with a piece of paper saying, um, you're on Netflix right now. But, you know, it comes across genuinely. With, with Christian Horner, it's very much like a, Oh yeah, go on, go on, give yeah, just give it, give it to them, and like, but you, you, re, you know, you just sounds very forced. Yeah, no, I, I found the Zach Brown Otmar Schaffner discussion really interesting because, as you say, it felt quite uh, scripted and very controlled. But given the kind of nature of those two characters, I think if there was no script and there was no camera, that discussion would have been quite different. Like it felt to me like you'd almost taken two. Uh, sort of veteran NASCAR drivers who like one had completely screwed the other one over out of a race and they were ready for a big dust up at the end of the race as is traditional in a lot of NASCAR races feel free to have a look at those uh, listener they are quite entertaining um, but instead like people got to them immediately and said no you're on TV and you've got to talk to each other politely that's what it felt like because you know like Otmar was fuming about what happened with Piastri you could tell um, but as you say he he come, he does come across quite well he control he definitely controlled his emotions to some extent but I do think the fact that the cameras were there and they probably had some kind of discussion about what was going to be said in that room meant that the conversation felt quite uh, controlled yeah I mean one team principal we've not mentioned is Matteo Bonotto mm. well now ex-team principal who's been fired from Ferrari um, yeah. after you know, sort of taking the taking the blame for last season how do you think he came across in the season? Uh, there wasn't a, there wasn't a huge amount from him. I, I got the I got the sense, and and I I've kind of always had the sense about this is him as a team team principal. Like he's not hugely comfortable doing a lot of the team principal stuff that some of the others are. I think even Toto, who doesn't really enjoy the media stuff that much, has sort of warmed to it to a certain extent over the last few years and started to use it a bit more in a similar way to how Christian Horner does. Whereas Matteo Bonotto just seems to me that he had absolutely no interest in doing much of that he was far more just focused on ferrari but the bits he was in was really good i mean that opening scene with him and gunter in the car driving around italy and having a lovely time that, was, that, that, that was... should be its own series like yeah. if netflix have any sense they should they just follow it. them around for a whole summer or something or like a whole winter between seasons so just you could tell it you could tell he felt very relaxed and sort of very natural and sort of just going for a you know going to a vineyard and drinking some lovely what he's at his vineyard i should say with yeah. with with gunter you could tell he seemed relaxed in that environment yeah, exactly. But yeah, he he comes across. I think he comes across quite well, but um, probably not the kind of leader that Ferrari need to some extent. I think he's a 
he seems like a really nice guy but as as i've referred to kind of constantly throughout this episode like formula one is an absolutely ruthless business and they take it it takes itself very seriously and you'll see this in our twitter bio listeners if you have a look we will not take it that seriously in this podcast <laughs> and i got like mattia bonotto i think to some extent wouldn't really play that game um as much i think even in the team principal discussion about the cost cap stuff when a well, lot of yeah, others were getting very excited. i was going to raise the the um the well there's the team principal meeting we see or bits yep. of it we see with um which is televised which well bits of it were televised which you've never seen before in drive to survive and then also there's the the press conference as well and sort of the, the i think they're about to get on is there a bit where they're about to go into a meeting and they're all talking about the cost cap as well what did you make of that sort of access that we got to those sort of see those team principal meetings that we've never seen before but also the build-up before a team principal press conference as well yeah, I, so I, I, bits of it I really enjoyed. So I thought it was the the whole, I mean, a, a classic Christian Horner move, make sure he's the last one to arrive so he doesn't have to put up with any chit-chat or questions from anybody else in the paddock before the thing starts. I, like, I, did, like, I did like that they captured that. I did like that they captured yeah. it. Was, it was quite a good sort of tactics that you sort of got to see. Well, it, that, that's the kind of thing. It just goes, it just shows you, I mean, how switched on that guy has to be. I mean, like, yes, he's annoying and he comes across in a certain way in some episodes, but he must be seriously clever to be thinking about that. Uh, no, yeah. Never mind running a team, winning a championship, thinking about all the other things a principal has to worry about. He's thinking about exactly what time he should get there to make sure yeah. he avoids as much pain as possible. And, to, and, to, and he knows exactly what buttons to press to wind up the others. And I, I thought, I think you see that in the, the the episode on Mercedes and their porpoising in the team principal. One. He, he spots, he knows that the cameras are there. And he's, you know, he very plays it very well to wind up Toto. Mm. And he comes across, because then you then get the clip of all the other team principals going, yeah, it's called Blimey Toto overreacted. And that's all orchestrated by Christian Horner going, right, Netflix are filming this. If I get him to push it, if I push him a bit here, he's going to kick off. He's under a lot of pressure already. Netflix is going to record this. It's going to go into the series. You know, he's very, very clever at marketing himself and making sure that the key bits are put on. And, you know, you can get that out of Toto. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I thought the, the sort of, I don't want to call it a divide in the paddock, but the kind of, Christian Horner knew exactly which team principals were going to be the ones that were super critical of them for the cost cap breach. Like he mm. names them immediately and they were the mm. ones that, you know, Zach Brown wrote the letter and Toto was obviously very vocal. So um, I thought that was quite interesting. Like there were quite clearly some allegiances there made in the paddock between team principals. I'd love to know if that changes when team principal, I mean, it must do, right? Like obviously Ferrari have changed team principal now. I'd be very interested to know if anybody has that kind of relationship with Fred Vasseur and we'll find out, I guess, in the next season. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, I thought the cost cap stuff was really interesting. I mean, a lot of it, obviously, because it was, I don't want to say Netflix sponsored by Red Bull, but uh, a lot of it was about <laughs> their defense against the attacks they were getting about the cost cap breach rather than focusing on the nature of the cost cap breach itself and what that, like, I would love for them to have actually dis- discussed what implications were for spending hundreds of thousands of pounds yeah, well, more it, than other teams say, could be. I was say, it, it, didn't, it didn't really cover the sort of the punishment that in that much detail, what it means, you know, because it could have teased it quite well saying, so Red Bull have been hit with this, you know, this fine, which they've got to pay, but also the year limit on error testing. And this is why it will make, will hopefully make this season interesting. You know, they, did, they didn't they sort of say they got punishment and then, you know, sort of Red Bull saying, well, that was a bit unfair. Um, before I go any th- before I go any further, can I just double check? You think Netflix is sponsored by Red Bull and Sky <laughs> is sponsored by Red Bull? I, I just keep a tally of all of all the different organisations you think are sponsored by Red Bull. No, I don't, I don't. I don't think the conspiracy stretches quite that far. But it's um, they they are a. Uh... It's 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 hard to underestimate quite how important Red Bull are to those organisations. Like they are the most entertaining team. They are the protagonists of Formula One. They have been ever since they entered the sport. Like their whole purpose is to like 
rip up the old system and kind of be the provocative Formula One team. And personally, I really loved a lot of that for a long time. And there are bits of kind of how they operate and stuff that I really dislike. But having a team like that in the paddock and trying to break up the old guard is is quite welcome. And I'm, I, I, I joke about them sponsoring, you know, Sky sponsored by Red Bull and the rest of it. But like, you can just see that there's like a really well-formed relationship there, mutually beneficial. Um, and that unfortunately does come across a little bit in the latest series. Well, with that, we'll uh, with Sam's strong views there on Red Bull, we'll uh, we'll take a break. Hello and welcome back from the break. We hope you had a lovely time. We had a very jolly old time. And now continuing our conversation on Drive to Survive, I thought I'd cover off William on Williams in this bit here because many of you got in touch saying how much you enjoyed the William on Williams feature, uh, more than just the double the play on words. Um, so William on Williams on Drive to Survive, sadly they didn't appear in it hardly at all. I think you saw Alex Albon twice, three times. Jos Capito, the team principal, spoke twice three times um logan Sargent appeared at the very end and that was it a uh, <laughs> bit of a bit of a shame really uh don't know really know why there could have you know, there could there was interesting stuff they could have talked about albon and nick defries a bit more could have seen it from that side a bit more um yeah um, i don't know it's very very uh very sad uh to see uh you know not much representation for williams sam what did you make of williams not appearing yeah, it's a shame. Well, I mean, we've alluded on pre- previous episodes that we both have a bit of a soft spot for William. So it was a shame they didn't appear very much, um, particularly when you think in, in I think it was it season two or season three. They had like a whole episode dedicated to Williams and particularly uh, the, you know, Williams. the sale of the team and uh, how they were really struggling with um, like figuring out what to do with the situation. Obviously, he had no money and like that. That episode I thought was really compelling. And that was for a team that was like right at the back of the grid struggling to get by, basically. So. I mean, uh, we, to be fair, we did have George last season, him being there and trying to sort of come up and, you know, when he got the surprise podium and, the, you know, how much it meant for him and the team as well. So we did get a bit of them last season, but nothing, well, I say last season, the season before, we didn't get anything in the season, just just aired. Yeah, well, and the large reason we got much uh, last season was because George made the move to Mercedes, mid, like it was announced mm-hmm. mid-season and um, Valtteri Bottas was under a huge amount of pressure, wasn't he? So... Yeah, it's it is a shame. Uh, I really hope they appear a bit more next season. I mean, we've obviously done our predictions now, and we've seen the, the results from the first race, and it looks like Williams going to be a bit more competitive this year. Hooray, hooray, hooray! So fingers crossed. Uh, Netflix sees some value there, and I think alongside uh, sort of their overall performance, they've obviously got a quite an exciting rookie who's joined in Logan Sargent. Um, and seeing how Alex Al- Albon progresses will be really interesting too. And yeah, th- they are one of the more interesting teams on the grid, given that they're sort of family owned and, and a historic team and been a, you know, been around a long time. So, well, they're no, they're no longer family owned. They've no. sold it. They're still family named, but no longer family owned. Yeah, yeah. but um, there's a lot. There's a lot of history there. Anyway, I, I think they should be um, they should be covered a bit more than uh, than yeah. they have been previously. I mean. Valtteri Bottas can also feel pretty aggrieved because I don't think he appeared in it once. Maybe he decided to sit out because they didn't. Actually, were no clips of Bottas uh, speaking to camera at all. No, which that. So, uh, yeah, do you think that's why uh, he's growing a mustache and a mullet to try and get himself onto telly? Yeah, and also he's got some wicked new. Um, wicked. What? What am I like? I've never said the word wicked before. He's got some awesome new uh, helmets. If you, I would recommend searching 
Bottas Bahrain testing helmet 2023 to see the best driver helmet you will ever see. And I'm not joking. It is 100% brilliant. We'll put it, we'll put a photo on our, on our social media as well. So you can get it there as well, but it's uh, amazing. Yeah. So that, so that concludes another, another bit of on William on Williams and also a bit of Sam on Williams as well. Uh, I'm sure we'll cover them. Well, we might cover them again at the Jeddah Grand Prix, which is next weekend, uh, depending on what they get up to. Um, So Sam, we've talked about, what we've enjoyed from this season and we've talked about the team principles, which we both really got a lot from and really found really interesting for you. What, what were the issues this year and how would you like to see those sort of issues fixed for season six? Yeah. So I, I hope they can be fixed for season six. And and as I've alluded to, I do think there's a bit of a theme around why perhaps some of these things didn't appear in the series um, based on the stakeholders. Netflix have to keep happy, but they missed some really important <laughs> Red Bull, well, yeah, Red Bull Racing and Formula One themselves. I think they missed some really important bits. So I've already alluded to the Brazil Grand Prix. Loads happened. It was by far one of the best races of the season up there with Silverstone and the like. So that was a real shame that that wasn't really covered at all, apart from, as you say, Magnussen uh, surprisingly getting pole on the Saturday. Um, we talked a bit about Max and Checo. Like that was quite a spicy little battle yeah, for a yeah. while. Um, yeah. Well, because that, that that was a big story that ended the season because it. Of how badly you know it came across with sort of the team radios and stuff a lot of people were going into the season going you know are they going to be able to get on with each other what they're going to do and you know i remember really souring the the sort of the final couple of races of the season yeah it did absolutely yeah um and yeah that wasn't that wasn't really covered at all i'm sure so we'll come to sebastian vettel in a minute but you know his his leaving don't formula one don't, don't get me started <laughs> i know I'll, we'll, we'll cover that in a bit brace yourself, brace yourself brace yourself for a run yeah, well, brace yourselves, listeners. It's on the way. Um, and then the, I suppose the last one, which really uh, was probably the biggest one for me, was that the fact that they didn't cover the safety stuff in Suzuka. Um, they had a rogue truck go onto the track when it was extremely wet. Visibility was really poor. It was, you know, it's as we've seen heat previously, it's one of the most dangerous things in Formula One. Um, Jules Bianchi sadly lost his life at that very same track in a very similar circumstance not too long ago. And for kind of Formula One, the FIA to make a very similar mistake after that had happened. Um, and uh, despite allegedly having sort of put things in place to try and prevent those things happening again, to find ourselves in a situation where drivers were flying past that thing with no, no visibility of it at all, hundreds of miles an hour, putting themselves at quite significant risk. The fact that that wasn't covered at all. Um, I don't even think Japan was really that well covered. It was. Yuki, apart no, from so, Yuki, so it was. So um, it's interesting you say that because I, I thought about this earlier. So Japan appears because you see the torrential rain. You see a lot of the drivers saying the rain is really awful. This is really yeah. bad. Uh, I think you even see Gasly say, oh, the rain's awful. And then it kind of like skips forward and it kind of gets to like, yeah, it's still following Yuki. Um, you know, it kind of skims forward and it's like, oh, you know, the weather, the track, the track's dried out. But you're right. I, I, I wonder if they didn't mention it because it was, it would be seen as, they were, you know, they're criticizing F1 because it was mm-hmm. ultimately their mistake and their, you know, their, their error. And maybe F1 weren't comfortable sort of putting out a product that openly and you know, saying signing off a product that openly that openly criticised them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and th- and this is this is probably the bit where fans diverge a bit. And you think about what 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 does what's Drive to Survive really for? for? For Formula One, from a Formula One perspective, it's there to build the brand, enhance viewership of the sport, and 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 improve interest. Whereas for us, it's for it's for kind of the hard let's say the more hardcore fans anyway it's for us to see what's happening behind the scenes and mm-hmm. those two things in that in that particular situation uh can't really happen in the same episode 
And I, I think there's another point as well about it. It's got to retell the story. It's got to retell the story of the season and it's got to recap all the story. And I think this season got about 75% of the season in it, of, mm. the, of, the, of the main stories in it. I think you've listed there, you know, that probably 25%. There were massive stories that got literally no airtime at all or very brief airtime at all uh, in season five. Whereas I think previous seasons, they, you know, they didn't even get, they probably got 50% of it because, you know, they're creating other f- fake rivalries. And that, you know, we did say at the start, that was a, a positive of this season. There were no fake rivalries, but I think they've got to give you insight, show you behind the scenes, but also recap the full series. And, you know, they, they had the space and they had the time to do that and they focused on different things. And we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute. And we've alluded to it throughout the episode about, you know, showing the wrong thing when they could have focused on something else. Mm. Um, I think it was a bit disappointing. Talk to me and, about Vettel then. Come on. Well, that that brings me, I was literally going to say that brings me on to Vettel. Um, that was, that was, you know, we see Vettel very, very briefly sort of announce his retirement in the Instagram video. And there's got that brilliant clip of Checo Perez going, what? Said Vettel's got Instagram. <laughs> he's retiring. Like you, see, you almost see his face drop. And I think there's, there's a number of reasons why this really, really frustrates me. And I think it was really let, really let down the series really, because Sebastian Vettel isn't some sort of driver that's been in the sport for one or two years and sort of going away into the distance or retiring. He's a real legend and a real icon for the sport for a number of number of reasons. So firstly, Four-time world champion. There aren't many four-time four-time world champions within Formula One. When he was, you know, on his day at his peak, he was untouchable. You know, we saw that with that consecutive, those consecutive uh, world championships. So, you know, that that itself, but that justifies why he deserves some sort of recognition or some involvement in this. But also the sort of the way that Vettel has sort of changed and matured, and you know, he was quite some. I think for, I sometimes find him quite immature driver at his peak and his behavior at his peak but also like he's become much more than just a racing driver and the thing i really really rate about sebastian vettel is he used his platform so well he's one of the few drivers to 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 use the platform they have for change and for good you know i I lost count of the number of times he would sort of you know change his helmets to sort of talk about you know i remember the one about the war in ukraine or to, to about saving the planet or you know, international, uh, no, it wasn't International Women's Day, but there was like female drivers as well. He did schemes where I think when they were in Saudi Arabia, he did a karting session with a load of female um, uh, Saudi Arabian women to sort of go, go karting, sort of teach them the skills of that as well, because, you know, they're not allowed to drive there or they've only just been allowed to drive there as well. Um, so, and he, you know, he was one of the few people that really got the the Black Lives Matter, within, Matter movement within Formula One. Uh, you know, he was one of the most supportive people that that showed that support visibly with their profile with Lewis Hamilton. And I think Lewis Hamilton really, really respected that because he was willing to sort of, you know, not not just sort of say nothing. Whereas sadly, I think a few of them decided not to say anything or, you know, some of them, for their own reasons, decided not to, you know, take part in the, in taking the knee. Whereas Vettel was fully in that support. So, you know, he's not only a great driver, he's, you know, done a lot with his profile as role. And it's a big moment, you know, he's been in the sport for a long time. He's achieved some amazing things. It's obviously very sad to see him go from the sport. And he literally gets no, barely any mention at all. I don't, I don't even, I can't remember, does it even get a mention? Apart from him, apart from his, uh, yeah, it's, it, the only mention he gets is when it's the yeah. silly season. Um, and it was, I, you know, it was nice that they had a nice montage for Daniel Ricciardo. Um, <laughs> but it did Who's feel like... still in the sport. Yeah, yeah. And it, it did feel like you could have done a, you could have done a montage on Vettel. Because then you could, because also that's the thing, Vettel's era of dominance is pre-Drive to Survive. So in, you know, five minutes or an episode, you could have covered a whole bit on Vettel 
and his career. You know, you could, you could have spent 20 minutes or 10 minutes educating people about how he became a four-time world champion rather than just it just be assumed that, you know, Formula One started with Drive to Survive, which that's kind of what I was left feeling about really because the history before that, apart from if you're Michael Schumacher and related to Michael Schumacher, doesn't really get much of a mention. Um, and also what what's sad as well is I know that Netflix film stuff uh, with Vettel of him doing stuff outside of the racetrack. Why they spent an episode on Checo Perez, you know, having potentially having to win the Monaco Grand Prix to save a seat when that wasn't a story and didn't really happen when they could have just freed that up and given it to Vettel and sell Vettel to sell his story and his career is, yeah, I don't know, a real shame. Sorry, that that, that was a rant. That, <laughs> I really got I really got impassioned about that. Sam, what, what did you make about the absence of Vettel? Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I agree with everything, everything you said there. I mean, it's, it was really disappointing. I, he is an absolute icon of the sport. Um, I do... <laughs> It's really. I know this is. Sorry, listeners. This has been a very cynical episode, particularly from my from my side of the garage. But um, I do think it's because Sebastian Vettel is just quite an outspoken person. He's quite critical of lots of the things Formula One have done uh, down the years, and I just think they were a bit worried that because he was leaving, if they gave him lots of airtime to say stuff, he'd say things that they wouldn't like very much. But it's not. But it's not like you know. It's not like they're giving him the microphone saying, "Right, yeah, go on. You, you, it's your episode. You tell us what to do." They could. They, you know, they could have very clearly said, "So, Seb, we want to sort of." Cover a little bit about your history, but about your career and how you become successful. Understand a bit more about why, you, like, you know, we could have seen some family life him saying, you know, why I want to you know, retire because that was the reason why he wanted to retire. Mm. And then it could have covered the way that you know, because so many drivers paid tribute to him leaving as well. And you know, it was a it was a massive, massive thing in the sport for fans and for drivers. And it just you got nothing. It was yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally agree with you, but it's because it's because I mean, so he and Hamilton. Are, are, yeah, you've referred to their kind of relationship, and they've both done a huge amount for the for the sport and and beyond. But they are both, I would say, they are probably the two drivers on the grids that are or were the two drivers on the grid last season that were probably bigger than the sport themselves. Like yeah. you look at the following those two drivers have on social media and the things that they do outside of Formula One. Like they are, they were the kind of household names of the sport, really. Particularly, I mean, particularly Hamilton, obviously, but but I think Sebastian Vettel as well. And my sense is that they decided to cut cut him out because he they you know they consider him to be bigger than the sport and that it detracts from the overall brand of formula one and what they want for the what they want wanted for the series which is promotion of the promotion of the product so yeah it is a real shame um i mean you know maybe they'll look to make that right in the next series who knows i, I know they, they have had some quite harsh reviews <laughs> where lots of them have referenced that particular problem mm. uh, or that particular omission let's say so maybe but they that, will but, but that to, sort of to tie this bit that 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 comes back to my point is it's meant to be a recap of the season. And if you miss out key chunks, you're just opening yourself to criticism where fans and journalists that are reviewing the show and looking at the show are openly going to go, where on earth is Vettel when that was such a massive story? And it's just, it just seems like a really self-inflicted sort of mistake they made. It was anyway, that that's, I think that, I think that covers the issues we've, we've, we've got, we'd like to see fixed. We'd like, so I think there, the issue we'd like to see fixed is get all the key stories from the season in in the series because otherwise you let you risk missing out big things, annoying people, alienating people, and not giving people the respect and recognition they deserve. And that's that's a shame, really. Hmm. What else would you like to see in season six of Drive to Survive, which is record, which will be recording the season we're 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 following. Yeah, so uh, not notwithstanding the previous comments about the excitement on track, fingers crossed we get quite a lot this season, and that's what's covered. But if 
if if not, and they have to focus on things off track, I mean, they've kind of done the team principle thing. I'd be very surprised if we see as much kind of off the track team principle excitement as we did last season. But one thing that I really did enjoy from the last season, which I haven't mentioned so far, is the interaction of the drivers off circuit when they're doing other things like playing golf and playing tennis and chatting with each other. I think one of the best things we get post race is when they're all in the cool down room having a little chat about what's happened during the race and they can talk a bit about, you know, they have a bit of a lull at Ferrari strategy or the tyres doing X, you know, and they have lots of like discussions they got to they get to watch the footage back from the race and someone like Verstappen who invariably has been at the front the whole time can see what's been going on behind him and it's quite interesting to see his reaction to stuff so I hope next season we can see a bit more kind of inter-team driver driver um, discussion and stuff um, kind of off track and if, if if they're willing teams potentially or drivers are willing to let a lot of that stuff be aired I think that of itself would be quite interesting and particularly thinking about this season with the kind of influx of rookies I imagine there'll be some kind of interesting relationships formed down the grid there so that's that's something I'd really like to see uh, a bit more of how about you so that's interesting because I think mine's is sort of connected that and mine's a bit more of a broader point so what I would love Netflix to do for this season and they won't do it but I would love them to do it is just to put Every weekend, just to put cameras everywhere in every in every paddock, you know, in every sort of um, in every garage, in every sort of motorhome, and just have maybe have a few people wandering around with microphones just to catch the audience up. But like, yeah, I'm going to make a comparison to another a really good sport documentary is the All or Nothing series because what they do is they go to a football club's training ground and and rugby as well because I think they're on the All Blacks. Mm. They go to they go to the training ground and the stadium and they just put cameras everywhere. And so they just capture so much natural interaction. And that is when the sport is the most interesting because you're seeing natural behind the scenes access. Whereas I think what Netflix have got themselves into situations is that they're showing you behind the scenes access, but it's all staged, it's all planned, it's all thought out. Whereas that is, that's interesting to a point. And, you know, for a lot of people, they'll watch that and they'll go, that's really interesting. You know, we've seen some really interesting interactions and they'll, they'll take it at face value. But I think it would become such a better sports documentary. And, um, you know, if it was even more honest and just captured a lot of that. So it would capture moments like, you know, the drivers are chatting, you know, because they would forget where the cameras are and they would, you know, just naturally sort of you'd see that. And obviously then, then, you know, the teams probably would be restricted about what they release, but you would capture so much more interesting and more insightful things than what we're currently seeing that, you know, as we said, one of the frustrations we had with, with Christian Horner was that his behind the scenes access was felt scripted and staged and it comes across like that. And that's why a lot of people probably turn off. Whereas if I was Christian Horner and if I was advising Christian, Horner, I said, Christian, what you should do is just, just sign up for an all or nothing series and be the first formula one team to do that or push Netflix to cover your team in that way. Mm. Because I think we'd see a lot more of that as well. And I think they could also, the thing, another thing I'd really like to see, I think we really interesting to see is to properly explain and to properly follow a team from the end of one season through to preseason testing because I don't think it really does justice to what happens from the end of one season to preseason testing. Mm. And the impression I got in that first episode, and I thought the first episode was really good at sort of giving a recap of what was changing and sort of setting the scene for the coming season. But what it feels it felt like to me was like, we've got to Bahrain for preseason testing and bam, here we go. We've got these brand new, very different cars finished, ready to go. And now it's time to test them. Whereas it would have, you know, they missed, it was a real, it was a good opportunity to follow one team and, you know, probably, you know, they probably wouldn't have done this, but this would have made much better television if they'd followed one team into like you watch them interpret the rules, 
think about how they're going to develop the car, what they're doing over winter, because you know not many fans know what goes on in in the in F one team over winter. And I think that would have been really interesting. You could then see the build up to the car launch and you know all the prep they're doing behind the, se- the scenes, and then you know oh we've got to get the car ready. And we we've seen bits and pieces of that in the past, but for a season like this, that for the season that they've just had, that would have been really interesting. And it you know could have been interesting this one as well. You know imagine that imagine if they've um if they've been with McLaren from December through to now. That would have been fascinating because they would have captured all the issues that they've had in McLaren, missing targets, and that you know that would have been caught on camera. Um, yeah, yeah. So a, a couple of other uh, things I'd love to see. One of which will will never ever happen, but it would be great. Uh, it's just a bit more behind the scenes of the kind of technical side of things as cars are being developed. Like I would mm. like, I'd love to see an episode that just focuses on Adrian Newey and just follows him around. Yeah, yeah. they're like, following following key people around. I think that's like you know they follow a pit crew member around or you know follows yeah. different key people like follow Bono around for the weekend to see what it's like to be Lewis's engineer. Yeah, I think that yeah I think that's a really good idea as well. Yeah, definitely. But the teams will be like really protective over some of that. I think yeah maybe Bono and kind of a member of pit crew and stuff like that they probably get away mm. with um doing for an episode but i think that'd be great and then the last thing is just more steiner basically get get more steiner into my veins because if you want entertainment and um the kind of no no real kind of netflix formula one filter i think get get him on a screen as much as possible yeah well they've, they've, they've got their team principal hero i think yuki is sort of their mate probably is likely to be their driver sort of new personality but if Yuki has a bit of a dull season, they're gonna they're gonna need someone to be the sort of entertaining personality. Or otherwise, a lot of them will come across potentially being a bit dull without without Daniel Ricciardo there. Yeah, it could be Alonso, couldn't it? This year, just him beaming, yeah, yeah. beaming, smiling yeah. the whole season. <laughs> In uh, I liked how he's he's dubbed himself uh, the anti-hero. Him and him and Taylor Swift are sharing sharing that. Yeah, like that. Yeah. So there we go. Drive to Survive season five. I think. What would you give out of ten? I'd give it a seven, I think. Yeah, I'd say seven as well. An improvement on on the season before, area for improvement, um, but still an entertaining one. And it, you know, one that you know, I didn't walk away from it feeling like I'd wasted wasted six, uh, twelve hours, ten hours, ten hours, ten hours, yeah, ten hours, yeah. I felt like it, whereas the previous season, I, I did. So yeah, I hope you've enjoyed that discussion and that chat on Drive to Survive. Uh, our next episode will be on the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, which is taking place this weekend. Sam. Before we uh, we wrap up, what's your prediction for the Grand Prix? I'll keep it short and sweet. Uh, I think Checo Perez is going to win the race. Ooh! And I think Max Verstappen will be a DNF because my my view is that if Ooh. anyone other than Max is going to win that race, he has to have been taken out in some form or another, either mechanical or what I'm hoping for is some kind of battle with Perez that results in Verstappen dropping out of the race. That would be so. Fantastic. In the last episode, you said it was between 18 and 21 races. No, 17 and 21 races. Yep. You think this will be the one of the few races that Max doesn't win? This is one of the three. Yes, because I wow. well, but for a you've, number you've of you've cast you've you've made that prediction very very early. I have. The second race in after he's completely dominated the previous weekend, it's but pro- yes. I, I like that, I like that boldness. It's more out of hope than expectation. I I suspect, nice. but I know it's a track that Checo loves. Uh, I know it's a track that. Max isn't a huge fan of. Um, and it would just keep the season interesting, wouldn't it, really? So, yeah. fingers crossed. How about you? What do you think is going to happen? I'm not going to say the boring answer. I was going to say, I'm not going to say the fun answer. I'm going, oh, yeah, it'll be Lewis Hampton. They'll, they'll fix the W14 and they'll be first. <laughs> no. Uh, I think it'll be Max win by Mark Country Mile. A repeat, we'll have a repeat of, we'll have the repeat winner of, of last weekend, uh, of the last race, where he'll be miles ahead. Okay. Because we've only had, this is our third time at Jeddah. The first one was crazy because him and Lewis, it was it was at a different point of the season, much closer on. The pressure was really on and they clashed a lot and it made it really interesting. 
from what I recall of last season's race, which is not much. I remember it being a bit dull. Checker put it on pole, though. Yeah, but I still think Max would would take him. Yeah. He looks quicker in the car than he does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're probably right, but fingers crossed. We'll see. see. Let's let's hope hope to make things interesting for the season, for the podcast, for life. Let's hope (laughs) there's a a spicy race and a, a real battle between the two of them. Well, you never know. Fernando Alonso could win his first race. Uh, in over 10 years that would be that'd be quite the scene to do it in the second race that would really make everyone set up Amen uh, but yeah you can hear our post-race discussion next week uh, we'll be recording uh, after the race and you can expect our episode to land in your podcast feed next Tuesday thanks for joining us remember to subscribe and leave a review of your on your favourite podcast platform um, if you enjoyed the podcast why don't you share it with a friend we bet they'll be happier than whoever operates the swear jar in the Haas garage very good very topical. Yeah. You can follow us on Twitter at Lights Out Lads. Uh, we're also on Instagram at The Lights Out Pod. Um, and our next episode will be, as we've just said, teased for you there already, will be on the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. That's all from us. All the best. Goodbye. Bye bye.